Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, June 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Senate considers a new abortion restriction bill. And we look at how small businesses hurt by the coronavirus pandemic are receiving additional support. Then Jackson is home to the National Phi Theta Kappa headquarters. Their leader is pushing on lawmakers to change the flag. Plus, in today's book club, public discussions through books focusing on racial and social justice. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. An abortion bill is making its way through the Mississippi legislature that would ban the procedure on the basis of race, sex, or abnormality. The Life Equality Act of 2020 makes it a felony for a doctor to perform an abortion because of race, sex, or disability, unless it's a medical emergency. Republican Senator Joey Fillingane of Summerall introduced the bill on the floor of the Senate yesterday, invoking the 14th Amendment and Civil Rights Act of 1964 in support of the legislation. This does not speak to a specific time. You know, some of our previous uh, bills on these topics actually set a limit of, you know, so many weeks, you know, 15 weeks or 20 weeks or whatever. This bill does not speak to a specific uh, time limit, a term or a number of weeks. It just says that all it really boils down to is if, as you were saying, some of these issues can be detected prior to birth, obviously, and um, with today's modern technology, which is way different than okay. it used to be, of course, yeah. even a couple of years ago, now in many cases you can determine the um, sex of the child. You know if you're having a boy or a girl uh, or twins or whatever. You can know, obviously, the race of the child. You can know if there are some abnormal situations like Down syndrome. Um, so those are things that can be now known prior to birth. And really that's what this legislation speaks to. It says all the protections that we provide to folks um, like me and you, you know, after we are fully born and citizens applying to disability discrimination, 1964 act discriminations for sex or race, the 14th Amendment that we should all be treated equally under the law, all those protections that we apply and fight so hard for in many cases to living people that are walking around here today we're simply saying those same protections, to the extent known, you know, not everything can be known, of course, but to the extent we know about those things, that those protections ought to be provided inside the womb as well. 
An attempt was made to change some of the bill's language to protect doctors from bad actors with ulterior motives for seeking an abortion. That amendment failed. Felicia Brown is with Planned Parenthood Southeast Advocates. She tells our Desiree Frazier the bill is another in a long line of past legislation that will likely be struck down as unconstitutional. This particular measure is uh, another extreme abortion ban. And in this moment where we have a global health pandemic and we have a financial crisis and we are seeing uh, the impacts of the policing of black bodies and uh, the impact of that on our communities, It is obscene that the Mississippi State Legislature would pass yet another abortion ban and one that explicitly and specifically attacks uh, people of color. This bill says that you cannot have an abortion if it's because of race, sex, or abnormality. Do you uh, know if that is happening in the state? What I do know is that especially for people who might be using any kind of assisted reproductive technology, um, who might learn that they have a fatal fetal uh, diagnosis of some sort, they will no longer be able to access um, abortion services. Um, But what we also know is that this ban is discriminatory and racist. It preys on inaccurate and offensive stereotypes about communities of color, Um, with the end goal of banning abortion. Over the past several years, every year there has been an abortion bill introduced in the legislature that has passed, Um, whether it's 15 weeks or the heartbeat bill where abortion would be uh, not allowed if you could hear the fetal heartbeat. These have been stopped from being enacted on appeal. Do you see that happening with this bill? Uh, Planned Parenthood doesn't provide abortion services in Mississippi, so we um, are not the litigator on these issues. Uh, But what we do know is that in several other states, these bills have been litigated and um, they're unconstitutional. So we know the legal precedent says that when these are litigated, they are unconstitutional. Uh, Senator Fillingain, who introduced, who discussed the bill on the Senate floor, said that one of the main issues with the abnormality portion of it was to prevent the abortion of uh, babies with Down syndrome. Your thoughts on that? Sure. We can all agree that people with disabilities can and do live full lives. But this bill is not about protecting people with disabilities and their families. In fact, this does nothing but exploit the disability community for political gain. When Senator Fillingain and his colleagues want to put in place um, some measures that would uh, help people with disabilities and people in the Down syndrome community, we'll be happy to see that. But this is not what uh, their intent was, and they are simply being exploitive. Well, Felicia Brown uh, with Planned Parenthood, we thank you so much for spending some time talking with us about this. Thank you. Thank you for your time.
That's Felicia Brown-Williams. Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund said in a statement they rejected a disingenuous invoking of race, gender, and disability, while lawmakers refused to enact policies to create true equity and equality. The Life Equality Act is being held in the Senate for further consideration. Coming up, we look at how small businesses hurt by the coronavirus pandemic are receiving additional support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Small businesses across Mississippi are relying on grants and loans to survive the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic. But some businesses still need extra support. A family-owned furniture store in Natchez has lost almost two months of sales because of the coronavirus. Darby Short, owner of Darby's Furniture and Interiors, tells our Kobe Vance her business qualified for $75,000 in PPP loans, but that money is already gone. During COVID, my husband and I, of course, worked every day. We never took any time off, really just trying to do anything we could do i.e. shipping, curbside pickup, um, you know, any gift registry, tried to find masks that we sold. Um, The furniture store pretty much was shut down during those weeks that we were shut down. And so um, basically we were just in survival mode. And um, since reopening, the furniture store has definitely picked up. The gift store has good days and bad days. I don't think people are still quite ready to be out totally. But, um, you know, our Saturdays seem to be real good, but the weekdays seem to, you know, one or two are good days and the others are pretty slow. So we had applied for the PPP. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they, there was that, um, the problem of everyone was not only getting unemployment, but they got the extra $600 a week, which, gosh, you know, some of them didn't really want to come back to work. And so there was a lull in there, which made it very difficult you know, really what we what needed to have happened with that money was if you got the PPP, it should have initially been set that you had the extended time because we used all ours up and now we've got people back at work and it's slow. And um, how, how much were y'all able to qualify for for the PPP loans? Um, I'd like 75000 And so um, as you go into the future, uh, have, have y'all burned through that money at this point? Or, uh, or do y'all absolutely. still have stuff? I'm no, sorry. absolutely, yes. That money's gone. 
The Mississippi Back to Business Grant began accepting online applications last week. It offers small businesses with fewer than 50 employees up to $25,000 in coronavirus relief funds. Don Starnes is state director of the National Federation of Independent Businesses. She says grants and forgivable loans are important to help small businesses that support their local communities. Yeah, you know, small business owners are the job creators of of the state. You know, about 50, I believe it's about 51, 52% of the private workforce in Mississippi is employed by private business. And so you have to constantly look at policies that are, you know, setting, uh, setting policies at the state level that are going to you know, promote growth and well-being of the small business community and the importance of the back to business program being being set for just the smallest of the small. It's truly going to help those mom and pop main street businesses that keep our economy going in all the different local communities. You know, without, you know, your everyday dry cleaner, your donut shop, your, you know, you know, local pharmacy, drugstore, you know, without those folks, you're not, you're, you lose your tax base, you lose the jobs that they create and, uh, and you lose that sense of community. So it really is a reinvestment in, you know, in the, in the heart and soul of, of communities across Mississippi. And so what problems have these small businesses been facing? Uh, did they have, did many businesses have savings that could, that could have helped them get through the pandemic? No problem. No, you know, early on, we reached out to our members to, um, we, we ran several surveys with our members throughout this pandemic and kind of, and, and continue to do that. But one of the early questions we asked them was, you know, how long can you make it uh, under these conditions? And about 50% told us one to two months. Uh, and then the rest were uncertain that they could make it. Um, some, we had a, a percentage of about a quarter of a percent, um, 25% said that they could make it maybe three to six months. You know, there's so many business owners who, you know, wake up every morning and ask themselves, you know, should I, should I continue to do this or should I just hang it up? You know, even in good economies, you know, and we know that the economy was doing exceedingly well um, at the beginning of the year going into this. And so that probably helped a lot of folks, but, you know, I think that it, your question about the grant program and how, how they'll use that money and how important it is. It's, it goes to the paying, you know, the payroll piece of, of, of that is huge because getting employees back is one of the biggest challenges for small business owners that they're facing right now. According to the Federation of Independent Business, around 50% of Mississippi's workforce is employed by small businesses. Coming up, Jackson is home to the National Phi Theta Kappa headquarters. Their leader is pushing on lawmakers to change the flag. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Established in 1918, Phi Theta Kappa is a national junior college honor society with chapters in all 50 state and ne- states and nearly 60 outside of the U.S. The organization has been based in Jackson since 1935 and has weathered the social and political challenges of the nation throughout the years. Now their president and CEO, Lynn Tincher Ladner, is using her position of leadership to press Mississippi's leaders to take action in regards to Mississippi's state flag. She says the Confederate imagery doesn't reconcile with the society's diversity and equity initiatives. When I became the CEO in 2015, we really started looking at uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives for the society, you know, a part of our strategic plan. Um, I think we've made tremendous progress during that time. Uh, we actually are divided into 29 regions, and Mississippi is in the Mississippi-Louisiana region. And every year we have a flag ceremony, and the regions are actually represented by their state flag. So it was probably a year and a half ago we had our flag ceremony, and it was a delegation from Kansas, Nebraska. We had some um, black student leaders there that politely brought it to my attention that the flag offended them. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So it was a real leadership moment for them and probably a real learning moment for me to replace the flag at Phi Theta Kappa. And, and then, of course, more recently, um, our members are really spun up with recent events and um, basically doing, you know, a lot of advocacy work. And, and for our members, it's really an emotionally charged time, and they want to see change. And, and I really wanted to get out there in front of them and say, here's an example of how you can advocate for change and construct a logical argument and be a person of influence. So it was really for our members, but also it was for Mississippi. I thought that the state leaders could really use a national perspective. And the visitors that represent, that come to us, are, it's a very large and diverse sample of people. And to have the same sort of transformation about, oh, wow, you know, this is what I thought about Mississippi, and, oh, wow, this is how I I love Mississippi now. So I thought that the leaders could really benefit from what I knew and, you know, had not publicly come out and said anything um, until now. So that's really what prompted the letter. In your letter to Governor Reeves, you asked him to lead with courage and to recognize that the current state flag of Mississippi undermines who we are. Are you asking the governor to issue an executive order to ban the flag? Are you asking for the legislature to take action, or do you want to want it to go to a public vote? I, I sent letters to the House, and I sent letters to the Senate leader and, and to the governor directly. I think this is a time for leadership. I think that we don't vote on right and wrong. We we as leaders have to lead with courage and do what's right, just like I had to for Phi Theta Kappa, and and make decisions that may not seem popular at the moment but are very good for our state, both from a morality standpoint and an economic one. And I tried to, you know, gently tell the leaders that this is an economic issue for Mississippi as well, and hopefully if they can't take the moral high ground, they can take the economic high ground <laughs> So I don't think it's a time for people to vote on this issue. I think it's time for our leaders to have the courage to just do what's right. That's what I was saying. What kind of feedback have you gotten since the letter was published? Uh, Overwhelmingly positive from from the members. Um, They were like, thank you for this. And, And some members who have been sort of 
really in an irate state. I think it's sort of, they looked at this letter and said, hey, this is really one of the ways we can advocate and get out there and, and do good things and, you know, write our congressmen and things like that. So I've received nothing but positive feedback thus far. Dr. Lynn Tincher Ladner is the president and CEO of Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Coming up in today's book club, public discussions through books focusing on racial and social justice. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Today's book club segment takes a different tack as we focus on planned discussions about racial and social justice. Richard Howorth, owner of Square Books and Off Square Books in Oxford, says the forums will cover one book at a time with two hosts, one white and one African-American. Howorth joins us to talk about the plans, the purpose, and book selections. When um, all the events have occurred this spring, chiefly the murder of George Floyd, I think all of us have felt compelled to respond and learn and act. And after talking about it with the staff, we thought one of the things we might do is start a book discussion group, not really a club, but offer a series of discussions centered around a specific book and invite people from the community to serve as a host and let them choose the book, but let the conversation be centered around these events of this spring, Black Lives Matter and racial justice and all all the rest. So I'm just now working on getting those hosts and getting those dates nailed down. Do you have the books yet? Yes. I know for the first discussion, the book is going to be Native Guard by Natasha Trataway, the uh, Mississippi poet. And that discussion will be led by Barbara Sullivan, and Susan Glitzen. What I'm trying to do with the host and the co-host is line up one black person, one white person, and let them lead the discussion, but have it be open to the public. We would do this, I think, initially by Zoom, and once we're able to convene, then we'll take it back to Off Square Books and do it live there. Are you asking for or are willing to take input from the general public about what they'd like to see or hear? Absolutely. We would love to have input from the public. Warren Black has agreed to be the host of another one. He's a retired Methodist minister here. Derek Harrell, who teaches in the writing program here at the University of Mississippi, African-American, is going to host another later on. But surely we would like input ideas, not so much for books because the hosts are going to select the books, but but for people who might serve as, as hosts. We're open to ideas and they can contact us at books at squarebooks.com. Are you looking at doing this bi-weekly or monthly or what do you right, foresee? monthly. Monthly. We'll try to do one, one a month, yes. And, and uh, do three or four of these first ones and if people like it, then we'll keep on doing it. We'll make the book available. We're not doing this really trying to sell books. I told somebody this is a uh, 
community outreach program dressed in bookstore clothes. It certainly has the potential of bringing people together to discuss what's been difficult for people to discuss, I think. Well, absolutely. And one of the things that happened is the demand on the independent bookstore bookselling site for books about racial justice or African-American history just exploded. There's never been an interest in this sort of material or, or really any other specific sort of material that I can recall as long as I've been in, in the book business, which is more than 40 years. The level of interest is, is extraordinary. Are there any particular books from your store or in Mississippi that you know of that are particularly requested? It's all across the board. One of the things that's happened with this incredible demand, uh, many of the difficulties uh, because of COVID that businesses are having and supply companies and freight companies or whatever, everybody's sort of discombobulated by this. So a lot of the books that are most in demand are out of stock. We used to keep all of sort of the black studies interest books in African-American studies in a section called that. And so we've broken out a new section called Race Matter, and we put put it in the African-American studies section is upstairs with much of our other literature, but we put this downstairs sort of front and center, and it's focused mostly on books that, that have come out since the Black Lives Matter movement, which is basically 2012 or 13 you're still working on the first date for the first discussion you will post that on your website it's books at squarebooks.com terrific richard Howorth is the owner of square books and off square books in oxford thank you so much for being with us best of luck with this venture well thank you thank you for calling thank you for your interest thank you for everything all of y'all with mpb do very valuable thing for us This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.